Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. It was constructed in Arizona. They built these bubbles, uh, these these domes, and they replicated Earth. This is what it contained. The environment contained an almost 9,000-square-foot ocean. Uh, by the way, if, just to give you some scope and size of what they built, this entire building is 9,000 square feet, so it's pretty large. Uh, they had their own, it had its own coral reef. Also contained in these domes was a desert, savanna. Uh, there was a grassland and a massive forest. And here was the experiment. These eight people were going to move in here, and they were expected to cultivate their own food. They were supposed to uh, deal with their own drinking water. They were supposed to maintain livable levels of carbon di di uh, dioxide and oxygen, all with as little help from the outside as possible. Nobody was supposed to assist them. And so they begin this, and over the next two years, what they saw happen was this, that uh, they had trouble with carbon dioxide because the plants inside the dome couldn't keep up. And so uh, this is what was happening. Animals and the plants started to die because as the plants were trying to reproduce oxygen, the untreated concrete that they had built the domes with as the foundation began to soak up the oxygen and the carbon, and it started, it started creating problems in all the animals, and the, and the plants started to die. And then because resources were so limited, the eight people divided into two groups, and they began to war over who was going to get the food and the water. And after two years, they finally gave it. You can watch this online or on TV, by the way. They, they made a mini-series out of it. Uh, you can look it up. After two years, the uh, scientists and the sociologists got together, and they made a summary statement. And inside the summary statement, I was reading part of it. This is what they came to the, this conclusion. This was the conclusion. They said, life isn't sustainable in a bubble. <laughs> Thank you for creating a mini-series just for me, just so I could <laughs> preach, right? right? Uh, what in the world? Life is not sustainable inside a bubble. I would submit to you this morning that Jesus knew that way before they built this biodome system in Arizona. He, he had come to the conclusion that, that you cannot live effectively and sustain life inside a bubble. And therefore, on many occasions, as I started preparing for this series months ago, the only real dilemma I had was how do we whittle it down to the accounts that we want to deal with? Because it seemed like everywhere you turn in his three and a half year ministry on the earth, Jesus was dealing with and confronting and trying to get us and his disciples in particular to bust their bubble over and over and over again trying to convince them that you cannot live inside a bubble. So let me just pick one. I had to pick some, so this is the one, one of the ones I picked. It's found in John chapter 4, verse 1 through 9. It is extremely familiar. You could tell this. You know this story, but, but let me just refresh your memory. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptism that he and John performed, although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. They posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. 
So Jesus left the Judean countryside and he went back to Galilee. And to get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. And Jesus, listen to this, worn out by his trip, uh, by the trip, sat down at the well, and it was noon. And a woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water, and Jesus said, Would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch, and the Samaritan woman taken aback, ask, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Dog. Talk about a bubble-busting passage. Jesus and this one account, this one experience alone, is just destroying bubbles at every turn. Let me, let me, let me see if I can help you. Uh, since you're familiar with the basics, let me just help you this morning. Here's the first one. Jesus is a Jew, and he is in a place where Jews do not like to go. Um, in fact, uh, uh, they don't want to be anywhere near Samaritans because here, here's just the, the, the only way I know to say it, because I'm kind of blunt, and you need to understand what's going on. Samaritans were half-breeds. They were the half-breeds of their day. They were totally un, uh, the, unacceptable by the Jews. They were totally unacceptable by the other communities around them. They were literally rejects. No one wanted to have anything to do with them. They, they didn't want to be around them. They, so they were rejected, and they were despised by Jews. Now, it wasn't that Jews would not go through Samaria because geographically it was the path that you had to take to, to continue on the journey. But this is what we, we do know. Pharisees, y'all know, any, anybody familiar with Pharisees? Pharisees, they're the, they're the uh, church folks. Um. <clears throat> They they, 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 the church folks, uh, they, they, they got all the religious standards, right? They, they're the holy ones. They, they, they're so anointed, they glow in the dark. They, while, when, they're, when they're riding their camels through the streets, every green light is what they experience. Their, their cat acts like a dog because that, you got to be anointed for that to happen. I mean, they can call their cat. I mean, they're so anointed. That life, and here's the deal, Pharisees would skirt Samaria. They would literally um, go an additional, depending on how fast you walk, through, and see Pharisees could only walk, walk a certain, okay, three to seven days in addition to what, it, if they would have just gone straight through Samaria to get to where they were going, it would, it, 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 it's a straight path. But they wouldn't do it. They would literally skirt Samaria, and it would add three to seven days to their journey because they wanted nothing to do with these people. I think it's interesting that Jesus, who had no need to save three days or four days, that he could have gained by skirting this, uh, by going through. He could save that time. He didn't need to save the time, and he could have stayed ceremonially clean. He could have gone around and skirted, and instead he walks right through the place that you're not supposed to go. So, so here, here's the deal. He comes to this place, uh, goes by various names. Uh, the original name was Sikkim, 
Um, I'm not sure that's how you really pronounce it, but it looks right, S-I-C-H-E-M. I like it as Sikkim myself, but uh, it's also, I don't know why, maybe the West Oklahoma coming up in me, but I kind of like it as Sikkim, all right? But I doubt that's how you say it, but I'll say it Sikkim. It's also called, it was also called Shechem, um, uh, but the, the, the term used in the passage I read, the Jews had come to this, uh, particularly the Pharisees had begun to call this place Syker. And the reason they call it uh, Syker is that uh, Syker is a term of reproach. It um, insinuates, Syker insinuates that it was an establishment or the seat of drunkards. So here are the Jews, and they've changed the name, and they're calling it Syker to blast the people they don't like and are basically saying you're nothing but a bunch of drunks and druggies and outcasts and you're good for nothing. You're just bums. You're trailer trash. Come on now, let's get, let's get, y'all, some of y'all filling in the blank with terms right now that you call those kind of people, you know, the kind of people that you won't go deal with, that you got to avoid, that you, okay. So Jesus goes to the wrong place. And he busts bubbles. But then he goes one step further because not only does he go to the wrong place, he goes to the wrong people. Because you probably already know about this woman. So, so now here he is. He's a Jew talking to a Samaritan, wrong people. He's also dealing with this woman that you know about. You don't even have to be in church very long, and you probably know about the Samaritan woman. Y'all know about the Samaritan woman, right? She's at the well at noon. Come on, folks, let's think. She's at the well at noon. All the other ladies got to the well at 9 a.m. when the sun wasn't so hot. She's at the well all by herself at noon. Why? Because, come on, you know the story. She's been married how many different times? Five times, and now she's living with the guy she's hooked up with now. So I just have to make this assumption that maybe she's at the well at noon because the other women didn't want nothing to, nothing to do with her. She was a social outcast and probably... Come on, she must have been fine or something because I, I had this kind of, I just had this guy, y'all just let me work here I, I, because they didn't want nothing to do. Maybe they didn't trust her. Maybe they were suspicious of her. Maybe they were afraid that the, their man that they were hooked up with might choose to hook up with her. And Jesus sets out a well as a Jew and talks to Samaritan a lady and as a man speaks to a woman. Okay, now, we're beyond all that now, thank God. But in that day, in the social climate that they're in, this is not right. This is not allowed. At the wrong time, he's talking to the wrong people. Uh, and then not only that, he asks her for a drink. Who is Jesus? He, he's we know him as the son of God now, but his disciples are still trying to figure it out. They've declared that he's a rabbi. He is a teacher. He is a holy man. And now a Jewish holy man is asking a Gentile individual, a Samaritan, the worst of the worst, trailer trash, to draw up a drink of water with her pot and let him drink out of it. Do you understand that the moment his lips touch her pot, the moment his fingers touch the pot that she uses to draw the water, he is in that moment unclean. 
cannot go into the worship sanctuary. Y'all wouldn't let him into Passion Church. The, the, the greeters would turn him away and say, you can't come in here because you're unholy. Jesus is busting bubbles. But now there's another part. I said all that to get to this. There's another part of this story, a piece of this story that I want to draw your attention to because y'all know all that. But there's another piece of this story that we overlook and I think we miss the fact, first of all, that it shows how, how, just how human and like us Jesus really was. But I think it also shows us a truth about how we have to break our bubbles because the Bible says that the reason that Jesus sat down at the well was that he was worn out. He, he, another version says this, he was weary. You say, what's this got to do with bones? Hang on. He was exhausted. He was stressed out. He, he, uh, he, he needed a break. He badly needed a Kit Kat. And yet, I need you to understand that a lot of us are there. We can identify with Jesus. Jesus can identify with us because he felt what we feel. He was worn out, stressed out. He needed a vacation. He needed a break. That's how he felt. And yet, I, I, man, I, my imagination, and I just feel like if I was Jesus in that moment, I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to have any meaningful conversations. I don't need to rub elbows with you. I don't need to talk to you. I don't need to have an interaction with you. I am exhausted. I, come on, guy, man in the house, I've used all my words. I know the women are going, what does that even mean? I'm just like, I, I've used all my words. I, I need a break. And then all of a sudden, even though he's zapped of physical strength and he needs a day at the beach. Wanting a quiet moment. Watch. An opportunity presents itself to change not only a woman's life, but an entire region of people's lives. And Jesus responds. I want to submit to you that um, this sound, I know you've never thought of Jesus like this, surely. But maybe Jesus just didn't feel like it. Because I want to submit to you this truth I think that we can capture out of this story that we need to apply to our lives and we need to wrestle with. And that is simply this, that busting bubbles requires us to push past our feelings. After a long day at work, after, a stress, uh, after the stress of your home life, after, after you've, you've, you've dealt with everybody that you can deal with, longing for a quiet moment, needing to just check out, zone out, we must all learn and become sensitive to the fact that we can still recognize God moments and God assignments and learn that we must move past how we feel. I want to tell you this morning that I am concerned for, for me and concerned for you that many of us stay confined in our bubbles because we have allowed our feelings to become our master. 
uh, the use of our time, who we will interact with, who we will take time for, who we will make time for, we, have, we are restricting it and confining it simply because we are mastered by how we feel. So, so we, we get so caught up and controlled by our feelings that we miss divine appointments and opportunities to change someone's world. Simply going through a drive-through, we're so consumed by how we feel. Everybody's driving me crazy. Give me my food and let me go home. We go into a bank to make a withdrawal. I don't want, how you doing today? I don't want to have an interaction with you. Give me my money and let me get out of here. Let me go to Walmart, keep my head down, don't talk to me because you're probably contagious anyway, and leave. Leave me alone. And in that moment, in that moment, we miss God opportunities and divine appointments and assignments to change people's lives because and only because we are mastered by our feelings. Jesus did not feel like talking. He was worn out. Exhausted, but he did. And, and, and then check this out. This, this, this just kills me. We continue to read. I didn't read this to you in verse 39 through 42. Just listen what happens. Many of the Samaritans, okay, remember Jesus is tired. He's, he's worn s- slick. Y'all don't know that. <laughs> he, come on, West Oklahoma folk. Anybody West? He, come on, country folk. He's, like, he's, he's slick, man. He's worn slick. Okay, okay. So, 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 um. And it says, many of the Samaritans from the village committed themselves to him because of the woman's witness. They knew all about the things that I, he knew all about all the things I did. He knows the inside and out. And they asked, listen, they asked him to stay on. So Jesus stayed two days. And a lot more people entrusted their lives to him when they heard what he had to say. They said to the woman, we're no longer taking this on your say so. We've heard it for ourselves and know it for sure. He's the Savior of the world, but we miss it. An exhausted Savior, a worn-out Savior, a a tired Savior, physically, mentally used up. And he stays and holds a two-day revival. And changes an entire region. Why? Because he had learned to bust through the bubbles of his feelings. My question for you this morning is, have you? Are you so mastered by your feelings that you miss every divine moment that God is sending you away? Because I submit to you also, he is. Because the Bible says that he orders the steps of righteous men and women. Hello, righteous men and women in the building of Passion Church this morning. He's ordering your steps, so that means the people that you bump into at McDonald's, the people that you bump into at work, the people you deal with at school, the people in your neighborhood. It's not just a coincidence that they happen to walk out of their garage for the first time in six months, and you walk out of your garage for the the first time in six months after never speaking to one another and they're right there and they say how are you doing I'm tired I just had a fight with my dog I just had a fight with my wife my teenage kids are acting crazy my job's all messed up no it's a divine appointment and you've got to be able to push past how you feel the, the, the second thing I want you to notice in this account is this is I want you to notice Jesus' intentionality he intentionally goes there He didn't need to go there. He intentionally went there. You could literally say it like this. It was an intentional departure from the normal path and normal schedule. It was inconvenient. 
If he wasn't ceremonially unclean after having discussed life with this woman, then certainly after he spent two more days there, he is certainly, and his disciples, are now ceremonially unclean and cannot go into worship. It was inconvenient. So I want to say, I want to submit this to you this morning, that busting bubbles occurs when inconvenience is, is overcome by intentionality. That's a lot of words to say this. You have to intentionally bust bubbles even when it is inconvenient. Jesus used an inconvenient moment to intentionally bust bubbles and lives were saved. Can I tell you this morning that most moments that have life-changing opportunities inside of them are not convenient. Can I tell you that that's why we so often miss them. They require us to intentionally change our direction, leave our planned task, and alter our selected and our cemented schedule behind and take advantage of that life-changing opportunity and moment. About a year and a half ago, I told you I was going to help you. I'm not asking you to do exactly what I did, but I'm asking you to do exactly what I did. All right, so I, let me explain. About a year and a half ago, um, we've, we've been doing the movers card now for, what, 10 years at least? 10 folks that we're supposed to write down. We raise them up every service. We pray over God, would, would you save these 10 people? I can't fill out the card. I could not fill out the card. I did not know 10 unsaved people because I'm living my life in a bubble. We were doing prayer and invite cards, which we will do here in two weeks leading up to game day at the end of August, where we're supposed to pray for and invite five people that don't know Jesus to come sit, serve, or see us. All right, now you're all caught up. You're all grafted into the fold now. That's the secret sauce of passion right there. That's what we do. Problem is, I couldn't fill out the five. I was asking you to do what I knew I could not do. I looked down at my list, and I had come up with seven people that I knew didn't know Jesus, and I was fudging just a little bit. Like, I didn't know them by name, so I just wrote neighbors. Because I don't know my neighbors' names. And I wake up about a year and a half ago, and I recognize that Steve Ely is extremely bubbled. I like y'all. Y'all the only folks I know. I enjoy hanging out with y'all. But I'm bubbled. And I felt the Holy Spirit convince me that I needed to do something. That, that, but, but can I, can I, can I, oh man, I, okay, can I help you? I know y'all think that pastors only golf on days that end in Y. Okay, so, so like I'm, I, I know y'all, I know some of y'all think that like the only thing pastors do, I mean like I can pull my sermons off the internet which I don't do, by the way, but I could. So y'all just think pastors just like we're, we're on there searching. We get their manuscripts, and I don't have to prepare. And I only golf. That's, only, that's why I have this great tan. <clears throat> that there's nothing for, but can I, can I just be straight up with you? Can, can I just be honest? We live a pretty busy life. Um, most of you don't know this, but I'm in a lot of meetings all week long. I'm taking phone calls that y'all do know that, ooh, should I even tell this? Y'all do know, ooh, I, should I even tell y'all that, that the number on the pins and on the cards is my cell phone number, and I don't use a secretary. I answer my own phone. 
So I'm taking phone calls at odd hours of the day. We made that choice a long time ago so that we would be approachable and obtainable. So, so I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not whining. Please don't misunderstand. I just want you to know I got stuff to do. And I'm not like sitting at home doing nothing. All right? I'm working. I'm living. Okay, just want you to know that. So that you also know that any evening that we, that we have at home when there's nothing to do, is valuable. Like, man, you give me a night where there ain't nothing to do, sit on TV, veg out just a little bit, play a little golf on the Xbox, man, that's a good night. I mean, I'm looking for those nights. Yeah. Don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. I don't, but I'm bubbled. I got to do something. And it was inconvenient. Okay, so this is what happened. A friend of mine, I saw on Facebook, we used to coach baseball together. David, De- Devin was um, uh, up from the age of four until he was 11. We coached together. He was ice. I was fire, man. He was just, he kind of like John. He's, well, I've seen John at football games. Never mind that. Uh, he was kind of introverted a little bit, a little quiet. He never really ragged on the kids. I was the one out there going, come on, man, throw the ball. Hit the ball. Come on, you can do better than, y'all don't know. Y'all don't know. Y'all don't know. I was the fire. We, we coached all the way up. And so I noticed on Facebook that he had gone back out to where we used to coach and was umpiring Little League Baseball. I called him up. And I said, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm umpiring baseball. I said, I think I might want to do that. Because when, you, when you're living a stressful life of a pastor, the best thing to do in life is to go and be an umpire at a Little League field. Good Lord. So, um, so I went and bought all the gear intentionally. Do you love baseball, Pastor Steve? Yes. Do you get paid? Barely. Not worth the hours. You can do the hours. not that great a pay. But the reason I did it was because I recognized I was so bubbled that I needed to meet some other people and be around other people that aren't like you. Because y'all glow in the dark. I walk into an umpire room This is no joke now. It's Samaria. I walk into an umpire room, and they're not in there talking about, thank you, Jesus. We just want to move your heart. Help us call under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's not what they're doing. I haven't been in that room two seconds, and they're flipping each other off, dropping the F-bomb, talking about everything under the sun and more, as liberal as liberal can be. And finally, after about the third game, one of them asked, what do you do for a living? I golf. They believe nothing that I believe. Nothing. They use language, a totally different vocabulary. You want me to share some of the work? No, I won't do it. Totally different vocabulary. It is Samaria. Then you leave the umpire room, and you go out to where everybody's nice, to the field, especially the eight-year-old baseball, nine-year-old baseball, you know, where the college contracts and scholarships are at risk. And you get behind the plate and you miss one call, maybe more. And you recognize that you're in Samaria. And it's inconvenient, y'all. 
like it's June at 6 o'clock in the afternoon. It's stinking hot. I'm at the well needing a drink. It's stinking brutal. I'm behind the plate with gear on. I go home and can wring the stuff out literally. It is inconvenient. I would much rather be sitting on my couch with my cell phone sitting there waiting on one of you to call with crisis in life. And instead, I'm out in Samaria because I recognize that I was bubbled. And so now, uh, it didn't work out. We were this close. Now, one of my umpire compadres that uses language I can't share here, that believes things I can't believe, came to me about uh, about three, two months ago, three months ago, and we have our rent house, and it happened to open up, and he said, could I possibly move into the rent house? I need a safe place. I don't know. I need a safe place where I'm living is dangerous. Somebody pulled a gun on me. Could I possibly come be in your environment? To where the most liberal guy in the whole room, I won't call his name, but I will tell you, is a lot like this woman in Samaria. He's been married three three times. And his current wife, like he's in his 70s. His current wife, I think, is in her 40s. He's a player. All right? And about... Two months in, I'm just calling ball games, having life discussions in the umpire room. And he looks at me and says, hey, me and my wife, we've only been married about five, I think he's been married five years now. And he said, hey, I, uh, I, I think we're going to renew our vows. And Steve, can I, can I tell you, you're the only preacher that I would let do that. And I'm sitting there going, God moment. It's inconvenient. It's no fun. I take that back. It is fun. It's a different kind of fun, but it's fun. There are certain nights it's not so fun. But I just recognized that I had to do something to get out of my bubble. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time that you intentionally pursued an inconvenient opportunity to reach someone? When is the last time God's love called you to go to places that human divisions tell you you can't go? A preacher cannot go into the umpire room. See, you got to make your mind up right now. I'm asking, I'm challenging you, make up your mind. You've got to make up your mind. Are you going to follow the path of the Pharisees and avoid messy, unwanted, unclean, unlike you folks? Or instead, are you going to follow the example of Christ and bust your bubble and go somewhere, even if it means it's inconvenient? You could be at home all by yourself. You could spend your evenings uninterrupted. You could cubicle at your work and never deal with anybody. You could hide out in your office. You could only talk to the people in here. Or you could go find a field. Get the analogy, I went and found a field. I'm asking you to go find your field. I just need to help you this morning. Your field won't find you. You've got to go find your own field. 
So I'm, I'm not asking you to do what I've, I've done. I'm not asking you to go, go like get on Amazon this afternoon. I need some umpire gear. Pastor told us we got to go umpire. Some of y'all can't see any better. Some, some of y'all don't know what a strike zone is. We don't want you at the umpire room. But I am asking you to do exactly what I did. Find a field. Uh, find a way to get to people that nobody else wants. I've told this story before. I think it's powerful. It's one of my favorite stories. I read a book when I was in college. Dad sent it to me. Um, I, I read it as a senior in college. It changed my life. You ought to get it. It's, I don't even know if it's in print anymore. It's called Where Eagles Soar. It's written by Jamie Buckingham. He talks about a trip that he took to Israel. He went every year to Israel, and he would take men on these journeys. They go to explore Mount Sinai, and they were on this particular trip. He had 12 men with him, and they're riding the bumpy trails uh, in the in the ruts where all the trucks have always gone to get to the, to the edge. They believe Mount Sinai is somewhere on the border of Egypt. Egypt are their enemies and so they're going as close as they can get. They're in these rutted, uh, this rutted lane and late in the afternoon one of the men on the back of the truck points at the steep side of a mountain on the opposite side of the riverbed and he spots an abandoned turquoise mine. And he draws it to Jamie Buckingham's attention and says, look, there's an old turquoise mine right there across the riverbed on the border. So Jamie Buckingham asks the Israeli guide who's driving the truck to, to take them there, and he refuses. This is what he said. He said, uh, the, the Israeli driver stopped but refused to leave the, the ruts and drive closer to the mountain. He said, I'm not going to go there. There's no way. It's too dangerous. Because during an earlier Sinai campaign, the Israelis placed landmines in that particular riverbed knowing it was the only way that the Egyptians could escape. The problem was is that then there was a rare cloudburst in that desert environment and it flooded the riverbed and moved all the landmines. And so now they didn't know where they were. So this is what the driver said to this group of men. He said, if you want to go, you will have to walk. Just walk lightly. And then he says, I'll be here waiting for you if you get back. And Jamie says that he and the men began to climb. They got to the mine. They filled their pockets with turquoise. And they start back to the truck. They get to the truck. They drive in. And this is what happens. The driver upon the return said, most pilgrims... Listen, most pilgrims choose to stay in the safety of the ruts. Then he reminded them, this is his quote, he said, the Jews have stayed alive. He said it's tradition and it has kept us as Jews alive for centuries. But listen to what he says. He smiled and he said, but we don't have any turquoise either. And what I am calling you to do is leave the safety of the rut of your life to find the treasure that you can only find at the well and at the ball field. Because you have to come to this conclusion. You have to wrestle through this, this question right here. Are you going to be a bubble maker or a bubble breaker? And I would say to most of you, I love you. 
I, I love you so much that I've bubbled my life with you for so long. We turn 14 in about five weeks. We're going to have a worship night here on a Friday night to celebrate the fact that Passion Church is turning 14 years old. So excited about it. But I have, over the last 14 years, I have bubbled my life with you so much. But I would like to, I love you, but can I tell you, most of you in this room are bubble makers. You only hang out with people that know your language, that act like you, believe like you, behave like you. And because of that, you miss God moments. And I am challenging you this morning with everything that's inside of me. Come on, folks. Let's live up to what Jesus modeled for us. And let's get past our feelings and get past the inconvenience of it. And let's step outside and let's go find people that could be one and their lives could be changed forever. But you gotta fight your feelings. And you gotta quit wanting to just hang out at your house at night, on your couch, all by yourself, talking to nobody. Because there's a woman out there, there's a man out there that needs what you've got. We gotta get to him. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.